go before us Nothing can stand against the power of our God You shine in the shadows You win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go Fellowship family, it's good to be with you. My name is Chance King, and this is Emma Orlando, and we're from the student team. And so we are from FSM, which is seventh through twelfth grade. And if you haven't noticed, once a month we do this thing where we bring our students to the front right, and we get to sit and worship with you guys. And so thanks for having us. I think it's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, how we all get to be together. And so we're excited to be here. Hey. If this morning, if you are new, I wanna say welcome. I'm excited that you are here. And there are a couple ways for you to get connected with fellowship, whether it's online, but my favorite is in person. And so if you're new here in the back at the foyer, please come meet somebody and we'd love to get you connected however we can, whether you're a family, an individual, a married couple, we would love to get to meet you and say hello. Hey, this week, um, in a couple weeks down the road, we have a thing called Merge coming up. And so February 18th, Merge will be starting. And so if you are seriously dating, engaged or newly married, I think that this might be something awesome for you. My wife and I, when we were seriously dating, stepped into Merge, and it's basically a great next step um, if you're trying to figure out where you're going in life um, and leading to marriage. And so, Four years down the road, it has enhanced my marriage greatly, um, and it's blessed my family, and so please feel free to look into that. We also have our Discover class, which is starting February 11th, and this is Fellowship's membership class. So whether you've been here for a month, whether you've been here for a year, if you haven't taken this class, I highly recommend that you guys sign up for it. You can look online for registration and for more information. And this morning, I'm excited to share with you guys that we have a baptism of an SM, FSM student. This is Evie and her cell group leader, Claire Willis, and she's going to speak a little bit about Evie to you guys this morning. 
Good morning. Um, like Emma said, I'm Claire. I'm one of Evie's cell group leaders, um, and I'm just so honored to be here. When um, Evie asked me if I would baptize her, I was so honored and just so proud for this new season of life um, she's walking in. And so one of um, the first questions I asked her was, why did you want to get baptized? Um, and after thinking for a little bit, she told me, She's always known the Lord, but she desired to have a deeper connection with him. And I have seen that so evidently in the past um, two years in cell group. She is so faithful to be there every Wednesday and actively listens and processes the words being taught to her and um, truly tries to live that out in her daily life, which is so encouraging. And at the end of us hanging out, I asked her if there's anything else that she wanted me to know, if she wanted um, her community, her cell group to know. And I thought it was so wise what she said. She said, she wants others to know that she is fully invested in the Lord and wants others to walk with her and hold her accountable in that. Um, so Evie, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of the woman of God you're becoming and how you lead our cell group so well and you're so wise and I'm learning from you every day. Um, and so one thing I wanted to read, sorry, um, was Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And this is just a reminder for you and for us as your community um, to walk with you in your new life and hold you accountable. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but, occur but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. And I'm gonna give it over to Chance. Well, fellowship, baptism is one of the ways that the people of God get to celebrate the story of God in their life. And so, Evie, in baptism, you're proclaiming that you believe that Jesus died and he rose again. But Evie, in baptism, you're proclaiming that that's your story too, that you were once dead, but you are now alive in Christ. And so in the presence of your family and your friends and your church congregation, is it your profession that Jesus is Lord and that you will follow him the rest of your days? Well, then it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his baptism and raised to walk in newness of life.
Would you stand and sing with us? There's peace that outlasts dark. Hope that's in the past. Sing it out. There's future grace that's mine today. That Jesus Christ has won. So I can face tomorrow. For tomorrow is in your
focus in on the biggest challenge that's in your life right now. What's got you waking up at night? It's distracting you at work. It's a fear. It's an anxiety. You don't have an answer and you need the Lord. And I want you to visualize yourself taking that and placing it at his feet right now. And why don't you just take a minute in prayer and cry out to God for wisdom and mercy to help you in your battle. Father God, we recognize this morning that we don't walk alone through this life. And we also recognize that this life is not easy. There are challenges before us and we need you desperately. So Lord, I pray that you would take all of these things that were laid at your feet and Lord, you would trade our weariness and our burden for your rest and your peace this morning. And Lord, as we dig into your text, today. The, the scriptures, I pray that you would teach us and you would embolden our faith and you would deepen us as your children as we follow you. Lord, we'll give you all the credit and all the glory. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Samuel, Old Testament history narrative, and we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17 today. We're in an eight-week series called The Rise and Fall of David, 
And so we are teaching you high points of the life of the second king of Israel, King David. And today, we're going to look at one of the most familiar passages in all of the scripture, the battle of David and Goliath. Did anybody pick this one up on flannel graph when you were in Sunday school? Maybe you've seen the veggie tale. This is one of the most reproduced and portrayed Bible stories of all time. And so we want to make sure that it isn't just a fable to us. That it isn't just the feel-good story of the year, but it actually applies to our lives. And to help us do that, we've gone to great lengths. We've called on our friend Stuart Horner, from Belfast, Northern Ireland, to come over and teach us today. Stuart is one of our global workers, and we are partnering with the C.S. Lewis Institute in Belfast. The C.S. Lewis Institute exists to make disciples and train them in apologetics. They are doing a wonderful work in the city of Belfast. They've got a great group of folks over there who feel like family to us. And Stuart, you're not a guest speaker, and you're not just a global worker. You're our dear friend. And so, would you welcome Stuart Horner? Well, thanks very much, Sam. It really is lovely to be with you all this morning. I really do feel very much at home. Sam and Amy have made me feel so at home. Royce and Susan, uh, Evan and Roger, all the people that have been here that have made me feel so welcome. So um, I was here last year, and it does feel as if I'm coming home, but I'm still stuck with this Belfast accent. So I do hope that you'll be able to understand me. You, you all have a lovely accent down here, or... Y'all have a lovely, you see, I, I, I just can't pull it off. Uh, so you're stuck with this Belfast accent. So I thought we would start with the most important words you're going to hear this morning, and that is uh, from Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow along on the screen, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we will start at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkot in Judah, they pitched camp at Ephes-Demim between Sukkot and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I kill him, overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. 
On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Let's just pause our reading on that cliffhanger. Um, we'll pick up the story in a wee minute, but I wanted to focus on the title we have for our passage today. I know you're going through a, a series on the life of David, and this morning we are looking at David's defining moment, David slays Goliath. You know, sometimes I'm asked by visitors who are coming to Northern Ireland for the first time, what are the defining features of Northern Ireland? What defines Northern Ireland as a country and a culture? Of course, there are many things I could mention. The beautiful countryside, the friendly people, the rich culture and history, the good food, the awful weather, the terrible teeth, the accents you can barely understand. The list is really long. However, when Sam told me this morning that we'd be looking together at one of the defining moments in the life of David, I immediately recognized that there's a connection between the defining features of Northern Ireland and this defining moment in David's life, and that is giants. (laughs) You see, giants play a big part in Northern Ireland culture and landscape. On the north coast of Northern Ireland, we have the Giant's Causeway, an amazing coastline with a unique feature that is a UNESCO area of outstanding natural beauty. Now, according to legend, the Giant's Causeway was built by an Irish giant, Finn McCool. Any other story geologists tell you about volcanoes is entirely false. We even have a legend that Loch Ness, that huge lake in the center of Northern Ireland, was formed when the giant Finn McCool lifted it out and threw it into the Irish Sea, and that's how we got the Isle of Man, a small island between Ireland and Great Britain that's about the size of Loch Ness. Again, the geologists have a different story. I'll let you be the judge. But stories of giants have become such a part of Northern Irish culture that we have not only named our coastline after a giant, but the Belfast ice hockey team is called the Belfast Giants. And they're pretty good, actually. However, as with many things in Ireland, since the time of St. Patrick and the growth of Christianity on the island, the influence of the Bible and the true stories in the Bible, as opposed to these pagan myths and legends, have also had an influence. This can even be seen in the skyline of Belfast today. You see, one of the most iconic images of Belfast is of the two giant cranes at the shipyard where the Titanic was built. My dad worked under one of these for about 30 years as a welder, and the working class guys in the shipyard, most of whom would have had a deeply Christian culture, gave the cranes biblical names. One is called Samson, because of its great strength, it could lift so much. And the other is Goliath, because of its great size. So this morning, we are looking at David slaying Goliath. As Sam has said, it's probably a very familiar story to you. In fact, I would reckon it would be in the top 10 list of most famous stories in the Bible for Christians or non-Christians. It's a great story. However, not only was it a defining moment in the life of David, but it also resonates through time and across cultures. So why was it such a defining moment in the life of David? 
And what can we learn from this important story in Scripture for our lives today in 2024? So to help us get a handle on the story, I thought we would break it down using a method that's borrowed from a great American export, Sesame Street. <laughs> I don't know what it's like now, but when I was growing up, watching all those wonderful American television programs you sent across the Atlantic, each episode of Sesame Street will be brought to you today by a letter. And the outline of our story is brought to you today by the letter D. Now, I hear that Elmo really cares about whether you're feeling okay, um, but alliteration is actually a good device to help us remember things, so there is method to my madness. So this morning, we're going to break up our story into eight sections. Firstly, a description of Goliath, then David the dutiful son, defiance heard by David, disrespect of David's brothers, David's defense, ditching Saul's armor, David's declaration of faith, and finally, David defeats Goliath. So firstly then, this description of Goliath that we've just read. It's interesting to me how Goliath is described. The emphasis is on his profession, champion. Where he was from, Gath. His height, six cubits and a span. The weight and quality of his armor, helmet, coat of scale armor, and greaves all made of bronze and a shield so big it took someone else to carry it for him. His weapons, a spear, javelin, and sword, all to emphasize his size and significance. He describes the Israelites as the servants of Saul, and he defies the armies of Israel. Notice here that what he sees and what the Israel army sees. Goliath simply sees servants of a mortal king and just one more army to fight. The armies of Israel see a giant, a champion, a well-armed, well-trained, intimidating person on the battlefield. Their reaction is therefore to be dismayed and terrified. However, I don't know if you remember, but in the previous chapter, we, we read the words of the Lord to Samuel when he is looking for who he should make king of Israel. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. When talking about the tall and impressive brother of David, Eliab, the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's such an easy mistake for all of us to make, isn't it? When we come up against people or circumstances in our lives that seem so terrifying and intimidating as we look at them. However, this story reminds us not just to focus on the formidable features of what is facing us. Don't just see the difficulty, but instead see things as God sees them. So now our story switches away from Goliath and the battlefield to David in an ordinary field in Bethlehem. Verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. 
Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The first one was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked how his brothers were. What first struck me here was David, the dutiful son. He does everything his father asked of him. He does the right thing. He tended the sheep, and then when he was sent on a mission to his brothers, he ensures his shepherding duties are taken care of, and early in the morning, off he goes. Disobedience to his father seems to be one of the reasons that God says of David in 1 Samuel 13 that he was a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Does that not remind you of Jesus? Jesus did everything his father asked of him. He tended his sheep as the good shepherd. And when the father had the most important mission in the world, he sent his son who was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. David is the dutiful shepherd boy son doing a good job looking after his father's sheep, even risking his own life. Another connection with this story of David and the life of Jesus is the significance of this 40-day period. You remember how Jesus was 40 days and nights in the wilderness being tempted of the devil? Well, here we have Goliath shouting his defiance for 40 days. 40 often represents a period of testing in the Bible. The rain fell on the earth for 40 days during the flood. Moses went up Mount Sinai on two occasions for a period of 40 days each. In the time of Joshua, the spies explored the promised land for 40 days. The children of Israel wandered in desert for 40 years. Elijah traveled for 40 days in the wilderness before meeting God at Mount Horeb. And Jesus appeared to many after his resurrection for 40 days so they could test and prove that he was alive again. And so Goliath tests Saul and Israel for 40 days. But they don't have an answer until David shows up. They feel the test. David's three brothers were following Saul, and so they failed. But David, the man after God's own heart, he passes the test, just like Jesus. It reminds me that we have all failed the test. Romans 3, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But praise be to God, Jesus has passed the test for all of us. 
And so when he shows up, we gain the victory over death and sin. I know we've been singing about that this morning and we will come back to it again. But in our story, David has now arrived on the scene and Goliath is repeating his defiance. And this defiance is heard by David. Verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What's interesting to me about this is that whilst Goliath is shouting his usual defiance and Israel reacts in their usual way, David seems to hear and see things differently and reacts in a totally different way. The Israelites say that Goliath has come out to defy Israel. However, David correctly identifies that what Goliath is actually doing is defying the armies of the living God. This battle belongs to the Lord and no one else. It is with this confidence in the living God that David does not react with great fear, but rather turns his focus on the great wealth offered to the man from the armies of the living God when, not if, they defeat this giant in the name of the Lord. David responds in faith. And as Christians, we should always remember that the battle belongs to the Lord and no one else. Without him, we can do nothing. That's true. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's always tempting to focus on the scale of the challenges facing us. But David here is reminding us to count the victory as already having been won by God and then focusing with joy on the reward ahead. As the Apostle Paul urges the Corinthian Christians to do something similar, 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Goliath has just repeated his defiance against Israel, but David has shown us how to face such defiance in faith and hope and trust in the victory God himself will give. So David is on the right track. He's confident in the living God will give him victory over the giant. He's focusing on the promised reward because victory is assured. And then his own family comes along and throws cold water all over the whole thing. Verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? 
And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? Said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. Does anyone here have siblings? Show of hands. Yeah, okay. okay. I have three brothers and I love them dearly and they're all followers of Jesus. But even so, there's nothing like a bit of brotherly banter to bring you back down to earth with a bang. I love how the Bible is so real to life here. I can just hear David's big brother trying to burst his bubble. Why have you come down here? Immediately questioning his motives and accusing him of abandoning his family duties. I can also hear David, the wee brother, heading back. Now what have I done? Can't I even speak? But David knows his motives. He knows he hasn't abandoned his family duties. In fact, as we've already seen, he's actually being a good and dutiful son and doing exactly what his father had asked of him and when. He even brought food for his brothers, and this is the thanks he gets. Here's another similarity to the life of Jesus. Jesus actually had four brothers, and we're told initially Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. Famously, Jesus says that a prophet has no honor in his own country or household in John 4, and so it is here with David. Can I just take a moment to discourage friendly fire? in our church, and in our families at home. It's so easy to criticize and jump to conclusions. I know I've done this in my own family and in my church. David's big brother may have had good intentions, and maybe he was thinking of his dad, Jesse, back home at the farm. But he immediately thinks the worst of his wee brother, and he assumes wrong motives and actions even when David is about to do something amazing by the power of God and for the benefit of the nation. Please let's try to encourage one another on to love and good deeds, as the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24, and was read at our baptism here, both in our families and in our churches. Don't be a discourager. Don't be discouraged. Be patient, kind, and loving with one another, and don't jump the wrong conclusions. But fair play to David. He's not put off. Off he goes to see King Saul, and we pick up the story again at verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, "Ah, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. You know, here is the first that we hear of the actual king of Israel. Saul is supposed to be the one going out to fight the battles for Israel. 
Earlier in the book of Samuel, I'm sure you've heard that Israel reject God as their king and instead and insist on being like all the other nations and having a human king who will go out and fight their battles for you. Uh, we have a king back home. I wouldn't fancy him going out in front of us to fight any battles, but Saul isn't doing his job very well. He's not the one that's going to rescue Israel. In fact, it's not even David who's going to be the one that's going to rescue Israel. It's God himself using David who will rescue Israel. It's not Saul or David who is the hero of this story. It's God himself. The whole Bible is his story. In fact, the whole of human and cosmic history is his story. But Saul, to be fair, he gets two things right. Number one, David is not able to go out and fight the Philistine. And secondly, the Lord will be with him. David has past experience with God that gives him confidence to face this current foe. In his career as a shepherd, David has already witnessed God's deliverance from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. The challenges in David's life may change, but his God does not. David is going to trust God. You see, one of the wonderful attributes of God is his unchanging nature. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As Christians, we need to remember that. Our challenges and our circumstances may change, but our God, his love for us, his power to deliver us from our difficulties and save us for eternity will never, ever change. Verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go on these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. You see, Saul's armor was not appropriate for David, and David knew it straight away. Anyway, if he had put on a coat of armor, a helmet, and a sword, he would be just like Goliath and trying to fight him on his own terms and in his own strength. There is no way he was going to win that way. David must fight this battle as God has prepared him, not some other way. I'm sure you know what it's like to try to be like someone else or do things the way someone else would like to do it. For me, this is a good reminder that even as Christians, we should recognize that God has given us unique life experiences and gifts that we should use for his glory. How can we serve God as the people he has called us to be if we're pretending to be someone that we're not? Don't be anybody else. What defines David are his experiences with an identity in the living God. What should define us as Christians are our experiences with an identity in Jesus Christ, the living God. We must try to ditch the pretense of being someone that we're not 
and instead be all we can be in Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. So having ditched Saul's armor, David is now equipped with all he actually needs for God to use him. You'll remember from the start of our story, the detailed description of Goliath, his stature, his armors, and his weapons will now become to David, and it's just five stones, his sling, and a staff. To everyone looking on, this was clearly a mismatch. The giant, well-armed and trained champion of the Philistines against the shepherd boy from Bethlehem. But who we are and what we have available to us may seem pitiful to everyone, and maybe even ourselves. But God can take the weak things of this world and confound the mighty. When I was preparing for this talk, one of your congregation, Evan Crawford, uh, who came to visit us in Belfast uh, last year with Roger, uh, sent me a lovely poem that she has written called Shadow Success. And it has this stanza, which I loved about this part of our story. So do you use one of the words of your own poets? This anxious child is the heir of the king. My faith is small as a stone in his sling. You shield me from harm with your outstretched arm. Your honor and glory in battle I sing. And so at last, here we are, the defining moment for David, verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, my dog, that you come at me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, okay, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Goliath's insulted that a boy has been sent out to fight him with sticks and stones, and his words are insults and, as it turns out, empty threats. What I love here are the words of David and his great declaration of faith. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And now we find out whether God will be faithful to David as he has been in the past. Verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. 
David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Yes, God is faithful and the giant is defeated and victory is won. So as we finish this morning looking at this defining moment in the life of David, there is a lesson that we all, of course, need to be reminded of. Nothing can stand against the power of the living God. There is no one, no thing that can defy the living God. There is no one greater, taller, or bigger than the creator, God. Our God has no rival, has no equal. There is no army, sword, shield that can prevail against the Lord or those who trust in him. When the battle comes, our victory is found in him. Nothing can stand against the power of the living God. Arm yourselves with this truth because the battle will come. You will face your giants. This world will have many troubles. Jesus himself told us this. Illnesses, relational conflict, financial stress, addiction, mental health problems. In these times, we are to put our hope and trust in Christ alone. Perhaps you're in the midst of a battle right now and you need to hear these words. Nothing can stand against the power of the living God. Maybe you need to be reminded of the power and strength of the God we serve. But there is one enemy, one giant that we all must face, a giant that is the most defiant of all. It attacks us without prejudice or discretion. It's actually the giant that our hero Jesus came to destroy. It is the giant of sin and death. In this battle, eternity is at stake. It's a battle for our souls. And everyone in this room will have to face this enemy. We cannot fight it in our own wisdom or strength. It's only by the power of our champion, Jesus, that victory will be found. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So finally, let me ask you, are you equipped? Are you prepared to find victory in this final battle? By grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you would like to know more about how you can choose victory in Christ in this defining moment in your own life, then I know that there are a great team of pastors and members of this church who would be happy to speak to you after the service. Just make yourself known to the guys afterwards. In a defining moment in David's life, he trusted in God, killed a giant, and received a great reward. I hope you do too.
Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we can trust in you, that no matter what giants we are facing in our lives now or in the future, or as we step into your eternity, Lord, you came and you died and you rose again, winning victory over death so that we may live with you. Help us always to put our faith and hope and trust in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember those walls that we call pain and shame. They were like prisons that we could not escape. But he came and he died and he rose. Those walls were rubble Remember those giants we called death and grave They were like mountains that stood in our way But he came and he died and he rose Those giants are dead now This, this is our God, this is who he is He loves us our God, and this is what He does, is He saves us. For the cross, to beat the grave, so let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our King Jesus. Remember that fear that took our breath away. Faith so weak that we could barely breathe. Oh, but he heard every word, every whisper. And now those altars in the wilderness, they tell the story of his faithfulness. Oh, never once did he fail. What he does, he saves us. He bore the cross, he beat the grave. Let heaven and earth proclaim this is our God, King Jesus. Who pulled me out of that pit? He did, he did. And who paid for all of our sins? Nobody but who pulled me out of that pit? He did, he did. Who paid for all of our sin? Nobody but Jesus. Who rescued me from that grave? Yahweh, Yahweh. Who gets the glory and praise? Nobody but Jesus. Who rescued me from that grave? Yahweh, Yahweh, who gets the glory and praise of nobody but Him. This is our God, this is who He is, He loves us. This, this is our 
Thanks, Stuart. He's a long way from home to minister to us and bless us with that truth. Thank you so much, Stuart. Um, well, that concludes our service. We have a prayer room over to my left and your right. The Thompsons are going to be in there. Wonderful, wonderful couple. Um, if you need prayer, take advantage of that. If not, we will see y'all next week. Hopefully, y'all be safe. Have a good week. <laughs>